Now, the word itself, repent, metanoeo in, in the Greek, is simply in Greek language, and again, here's where we need to understand how we study the Bible. In Greek language, it certainly and, and essentially simply means this, to change your mind. And that's what it meant when, when the Greek writers used it most often in their secular literature. It meant, look, you need to change your mind. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. The first words really spoken by any prophet for over 400 years beyond official prophet, I would say. Zacharias made prophecy. There are others who, under the inspiration of the Spirit, were had done some prophecy before. This. But the first official proclamation from an official prophet of God for, for that 400-year time span is this. Repent. And it's not much different than the last prophet spoke in the Old Testament. It was the same message then. Repent. You are sinners. You need to turn from your sin. This is his message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's look at those in, let's look at that in two pieces. The necessity first of repentance and what it actually is. And I've chosen to dwell on these things this morning. We'll see them over and over and over. Because repentance isn't only spoken of here in Matthew, it's a, it's a regular theme. And we're going to talk a little bit about the kingdom this morning. And so I'm just trying to introduce those things so as we build in layers, you can refer back to and remember kind of the foundation that we have laid. Because I can't wait for, for future messages to lay out what repentance actually is, because there are some of you this morning who need to repent, who you need to hear this message, what the herald has to say. All of us need to hear it. As unbelievers, you need to hear it essentially for the first time to repent. As believers, we need to understand how it is that we continually respond to our king in repentance. Now, the word itself, repent, metanoeo in, in the Greek, is simply in Greek language, and again, here's where we need to understand how we study the Bible. In Greek language, it certainly and, and essentially simply means this, to change your mind. And that's what it meant when, when the Greek writers used it most often in their secular literature. It meant, look, you need to change your mind. Now, unfortunately, what some people have done is they, in, in their misunderstanding, or really their misapplication of hermeneutics, the study of how you study scripture, they've said, well, that's what it meant in the, in the, in the culture of the time. And so we're going to really bring that meaning into what the biblical meaning of repentance actually is. And so they've said this, look, repentance is just this, change your mind. All right. I didn't think I was a sinner. I think I am now. I didn't know there was a king. I know there is one now. Right? So you're, you're suddenly going, well, okay, I, I agree with that, or I give mental assent to that, and they're saying that's what true repentance actually is. That's all you need to do. In fact, really, they've gone one step further, and this speaking, well, I mean, it's, it's always been around, but it was a massive controversy, say, about 30, 40 years ago, as, as a particular seminary began to come out with books about the fact that really this is a mental change of mind, and the idea that even really repentance itself, since you can't actually do anything good, repentance itself isn't even part of the gospel, you just believe. 
So we remove repentance at all, and if there is any kind of repentance, it just simply is, look, I, I didn't realize I was a sinner, I know I am one now. Or, I, you know, I mentally give assent to the fact that I have committed a sin. That's kind of the idea. So I changed my mind about that, and really I changed my mind about Christ too. I didn't think he was the king, I think he's the king, so that'll work. I didn't think he was the savior, I think he's the savior, so that'll work. Well, is that what repentance really is? Is that what the biblical definition of repentance is? Remember, you take a word and you begin to understand it on the basis of what was going on in the language at the time. But then you have to bring it into the context of biblical literature to see how it is used so that you can understand the biblical context. What does the Spirit of God mean when he says that word? And does it simply mean, as well, I changed my mind? I think Scripture clearly indicates that that is not the case at all. First beginning in the Old Testament, and we're not going to do a huge study of this, just a very simple one rather quickly. That repentance is a change of heart and mind. It is that. Well, we thought one way, but it isn't an only an intellectual change. And I've chosen to use the two words, heart and mind, not because I think they're fully separate, just because I, that kind of might help you think, all right, my intellect and also my will and my desires, my affections, my intellect and my motivations and my will. It is a change of all of those. So not just simply, well, okay, I don't want to, you know, I, I think about that differently. I reason about that differently, but I desire differently and I'm going to motivate. I'm going to be directed differently in my motivations. Ezekiel 33, 11. Speaking of what repentance is, he says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? What's the nature of repentance? To turn away from sin. And that involves, again, not simply, okay, I think I shouldn't do that as I continue to sin. Oh, I recognize that I am a sinner as I continue to sin. Because you can do that. You know you can. You say, I know that's a sin, I know that's a sin, I know that's a sin, and what happens? You keep doing it. In fact, some of you are wrestling with that right now. Probably all of you in one area or another where you know it's a sin. You know you're a sinner. You know you're committing the sin, but you have not turned. There is no decision in your motivations, in your will, and in your affections. You don't hate the sin, as it were. You say, okay, I agree with that's a sin, but I like it. I want to continue to pursue it. You see why a change of mind recognizing the recognition, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a sin before, now I know it is. You see why that will not help you if that's all you have, because your will to change and your affection, your desire to change, have not, nothing's changed in that at all. And until it becomes more pleasurable or more desirable for you to turn away from that sin to the one who, who saves you, you will continue in it. Although your mind has changed, you, you understand, all right, I get that, that that's actually a sin. In fact, if you talk to people on the street today, if you go and knock on doors and you ask them or you tell them that they're a sinner, that is, they've committed violations of God's law, 99.9% .9 of them will look at you and say, I agree with that. I'm a sinner. I commit sin. They don't even really, in one sense, need their mind changed about the fact that they actually sin but they have no heart desire to change, no motivation, no passion and delight in what is right. Simply, okay, I know that's a sin. I know I'm a sinner. Acts 3.19, now as we move into the New Testament, and really there's a, a myriad of Old Testament verses we could use to talk about sin being a, a desire and actually the, the actions of turning away, repentance, that it, it's a desire, the motivation and passion to turn from the evil way, to recognize it as evil and to turn from it. Acts 3.19, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and return. That's the idea. There's always a turning when it comes to repentance, and a turning involves not only my intellect, 
but also my inner man. And then, by the way, when your inner man changes, when your delights change, when your desires change, what also changes? Your outer man. But never until then. When your inner man changes, then you begin to turn physically, as it were, in your external actions and words, you begin to turn away from sin when there's been that change in the inner man. That determination that this is wrong, that I, I delight in, in righteousness and holiness instead because I recognize the heinous evil of my sin. Revelation 2.5. And this is Jesus speaking to the churches, but again, it gives us a picture of what Christ means when he says repentance. So he says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deed you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. What? Remember where you were, that is the standard of, of righteous deeds that you were supposed to have. Repent, recognize that, and, and in your heart and mind, make the determination to turn, and then what happens? You do, in fact, turn. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. You can't simply say, those churches couldn't say, we agree, we repent, we're sorry. We'll cry over our sin. We'll go down to the altar. We'll, we'll do all of these things, but we will not turn because we still love our sin. Repentance is the turning from the recognition of what sin is, the recognition that that characterizes who I am, and the turning from it. And really, again, the initial determination, my passions, affections, and intellect directed towards that change. Repentance is a change, certainly, of heart and mind. D.A. Carson says it this way, what is meant is not merely an intellectual change of mind or even mere grief. My emotions are changing. I wasn't crying about it before I am now. I didn't feel bad about it. I do now. But it is a radical transformation of the entire person, a fundamental turnaround involving mind and action and including overtones of grief, which results in fruit in keeping with repentance. Second Corinthians 7 says it this way, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You've heard that before. The world can get very sorrowful over sin. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry that those consequences took place. I'm sorry for the pain that this is causing me. And even to some degree, I'm sorry for the pain that that's causing somebody else. I don't like that. I'm sorry for that. That grieves me. The world does that, and they don't change. I meet men and women all the time who, who grieve over the difficulties that sin has brought into their life, who grieve over the discipline that the Lord has brought and that even the punishments of, of society. They grieve over those things, but they do not change. They do not turn from their sin in any way. They continue to pursue it. See, that sorrow, the sorrow of the world, really produces death. Because what happens is it, it, there's a feeling, like, all right, I am doing something about this, I'm fixing this, and I'm sorry about it, and all these things. So that ought to be enough. And they continue on and constantly wondering, well, why wasn't that enough? It's producing death for them. It's really anesthetizing them to the reality of the true change they need to make. I feel sorry. I feel bad. That ought to be enough. And yet it's really keeping them from the true repentance that they need. But the repentance without regret. That is the repentance that, that is the heart, the change of heart and mind, which does not go back to the way it was before. And we'll talk about the nuances of that. It doesn't mean you never sin again or even that you never commit that sin again. But there is a change. It's without regret. I, I'm not later on, whoa. No, I really, see, the idea of regret there is uh, I'll repent, but I, I didn't really desire the object of my repentance more. 
See, so I repented in the moment because the hurt that I was feeling and the difficulties that I had in that moment caused me to turn. But the regret comes the next day when I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like pursuing Christ. I still like these things more. I, I as it was, as it were, I, I must go back to what I had because it still pleases me more than the other. That's the sorrow that leads to death. Now, the next verse in 2 Corinthians 7 uh, verse seven, uh, verse eleven. So ten says the sorrow that is uh, of the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Well, what does what does that look like? What what is that kind of repentance that is without regret? What does it look like? Well, verse eleven says this: For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you? What vindication of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What longing? What zeal? What avenging of wrong? And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. It's not, well, the Lord is, you know, all right, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I've done wrong. I I need to punch my ticket to heaven, and then I'll go do what I want. It becomes this zeal for pursuing righteousness that is the characteristic of all true repentance. There's a longing to, to, to in everything demonstrate that the sin is gone, that you're no longer pursuing that, that your entire desire is to pursue the Lord. And this is true for unbelievers when they turn. When you don't see this kind of thing and someone who, who proclaims themselves to be a believer, proclaims himself to be converted, you have to look and say, where's this kind of repentance? Where's the zeal? Where's the pursuit of righteousness that flows from this? And yes, as believers, there's also much for us to learn in that as well. I hear people say all the time, again, I've repented. They get confronted in their sin. I'm sorry, and I won't do that anymore, and they don't like the consequences. And yet the next day, they're doing something that is right on the edges of the sin they just committed. You're like, what? That's not repent. I'll repent and then I'll get as close to it as I can. No, this is zeal to, to demonstrate what avenging of wrong. I will demonstrate that I hated that sin. I'll go as far away as I possibly can from it so that no one would ever even know that I'd ever sinned like that. I mean, it would absolutely flabbergast them that I had sinned in this particular way because I am so far from it. Is that your repentance? That's the repentance being proclaimed. The lifestyle that you had before, if you're an unbeliever, you have an absolutely contrary lifestyle that is evident, it is obvious, it is your pursuit, it is your passion to pursue Christ. So repentance is a change of heart and mind indeed, but it's a true change resulting in in a total change of intellect and will and affection passion. But it's also a call to conversion then. Really, that's what we're saying, isn't it? Because some of you are going, that seems like a pretty strong definition of repentance. How could anyone do that on their own? It's a good question. How could anyone repent like that? And that's why repentance has been preached in other places and other times as simply a change of mind, because a man can do that. You can change your mind about things. You can decide one thing was this way and then decide it's the other way. I didn't realize that I actually sinned. Now I realize I do. I didn't know there was a Christ. Now I realize there is. I didn't know there was a penalty. Now I know there is. You can make all of those changes, but you can't make the change of conversion. Or your heart and your will actually desire the things of God. That's what you can't do. But it is required for repentance. So repentance is really, and and, and the word itself, as again this defined in the Bible, has to do with a total transformation. That you are different. That's the only way you can turn. That's the only way you can desire to turn away from your sin. Matthew 18.3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, isn't that fascinating? 
What is the herald proclaiming? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how do you get into the kingdom? Repent. And in Matthew 18, 3, what do we see? What, what's, what's the qualification? Conversion. So we see a tie between those two things. There has to be a true transformation of the heart, which means that, and you can put this underneath, repentance is, is a call to conversion, is that repentance is a gift from God. It is granted by Him. It's not that you don't exercise your inner man unto repentance. You do. But the only way you can desire these things is if God is at work within you. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And again, I'm not saying that men are passive in this. They have to hear the message. Right? They, they have, their, their will has to be directed towards these things, but you need to understand that underlying that is God's gracious work in their heart to change it so that they will repent. And isn't that what you pray? I mean, if, any, if any of you wrestle with that, which you, you still may, this idea that God must do the work in salvation, I mean, isn't that what you pray? Lord, what? Change their heart. Who doesn't pray that? Have you ever prayed, Lord, Make sure, don't do anything to that unbeliever's heart to help him understand he's a sinner. Whatever you do, he's going to have to do that on his own. Well, who would pray such a prayer? Because we understand our own hearts, at least at some levels. And we know we can't make that kind of heart level change. God does that. And so that's what we're talking about. It is his gift that leads to repentance. And notice fasting says, leading, it says leading them to a knowledge of the truth. John is going to proclaim the truth. John, this, John the Herald, John the Baptist. And as he proclaims the truth, that first part of the truth is repent. Acts 11.18 says this, speaking of the conversion of the Gentiles, as Peter makes his report back to the committee, as it were, to the elders. So when they, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. God has granted to the Gentiles this. It is his precious gift. So how could a heart turn, turn like this? How could a heart change like this? Unless God were at work to change it by the power of the Spirit of God through the preaching of the truth. And everyone needs repentance. That's underneath repentance is a call to conversion, to be, to be changed, to have a transformation of the inner man, our mind and our intellect, our will. Luke 13, 1-5. The Jews were constantly trying to figure out, and, and we'll see that as we move on in this passage in the, in the coming weeks, well, everyone else is a sinner but not me. Or how much of a sinner are these other people? They're constantly gauging the sin. They're more of a sinner. I'm less of a sinner. These people were really evil. And you might remember the, the, the story in Luke 13, 1 says, Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him, that's to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinner than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You may not sit here this morning and go, you know, that repentance thing, I understand, that's good for those guys that are really bad. That's good for the people in prison. That's good for those who, who have a homosexual lifestyle. That's what they need. I don't need that. Look, 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 look at evil thing happen to those people. Look at the judgment God is bringing on them. And Jesus said, you're missing the whole point. They're not any more evil than you. These are the things that happen in an evil world. Political rulers kill people. Natural disasters happen to people. God's prescribed natural disaster. All are equally sinful. 
all are in need of one thing and one thing alone, repent. Recognize your sin. Turn from it. Repentance comes from hearing the message. Repentance comes from hearing the message. By the way, Acts 17.30, under the idea that every person is in need of repentance. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to every man, this is what Paul said on the hill in Athens, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. This is the message that we proclaim. Repentance comes from hearing this message. Luke 16.30, fascinating also, I think in our day and age, there's even ever more and more of, well, maybe there will be signs and miracles that will make people repent. Maybe if angels show up or visions happen, people will repent. Well, this, this was tried by someone, the, the, the idea that it would be a greater thing or it would be more helpful for people to repent if there would be signs and wonders and miracles and if angels would show up and things like that. This was tried by someone who was actually in hell. And he said back to Jesus, said, or he, he said to Father Abraham, as it were, he said, look, if you just send them a messenger, just send them someone from you, then they'll listen. Someone from heaven, as it were. Luke 16.30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, so someone rising from the dead in this case, some miracle that will happen, then they will repent. But he said to them, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. The message is what is necessary, and the message is what is used by God. Everyone must hear the message, because that is what the Spirit of God uses to convert the soul and bring repentance. And so the herald comes and says what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 24, 27. This is the message that was to go out as Jesus commissions the disciples, essentially, the, really the two on the road to Emmaus, or, or after he visits with them, then the disciples in, in, in a group. In Luke 24, 47, he says that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Acts 20, 21. Paul giving his own testimony. He says, solemnly testifying to them, both Jews and Greeks, of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So a final definition of repentance for this morning. This is what John was saying when he said, repent. And the reason that I've taken the time to do this is because we have, you sit here, you hear the word repent, and you all have a different idea of what that actually means. We have to have the biblical content. I've tried to fill that in for you. Let me kind of give you a final definition, and we'll be done for this morning. We'll be done just simply having talked about repentance. There could be no more important thing. So a definition of repentance is to hate the evil of sin, to accept as right the condemnation for sin, to agree with the justice of the eternal punishment for sin, to grieve over the reality of sin, to make a willful decision to turn away from sin. To hate the evil of sin, to accept as right the condemnation for sin, to agree with the justice of the eternal punishment for that sin, to grieve over the reality of sin, to make a willful decision to turn away from sin. That's repentance. That's biblical repentance. And it is necessary, if anyone, is to have the blessings and benefits of the king. And so the herald is a wise herald. The herald is sent by God with the right message. He didn't make a mistake. I know some of you are still going, well, wait a minute, where's the faith? Now, I, I referenced that in one of the verses that I read. But in Matthew, what I want you to read, when you read repentance in Matthew, you read everything that's involved to repent of sin, believing in Christ, because all of those, those come directly together. They're directly connected. You, in John, just to give you a contrast, in John, the word repentance, I think, is used twice, maybe. What's the word used there? Believe. So we say, look, just preach, believe. Well, why, why don't we use Matthew? 
Matthew's to present the, the, the king, the savior king. Why don't we use him? And the only word that he uses, essentially, one of, is repent. Yes. They're bound up together when we understand fully what those things actually mean. Repent, in Matthew's context, means what? Recognize your own sinfulness, and then the solution to that sinfulness, Christ. Because it is fascinating, you might be saying, well, when Christ comes on the scene, he'll proclaim a different message. Well, this is a bit ahead of us, but in Matthew 4.17, the next chapter, when Christ comes, in the book of Matthew, remember, that's why we're studying the book as, as a unit as a whole. What does Christ say? You can look there, Matthew 4.17, when Jesus begins his ministry, from that time, Jesus, this is the king, the king has come, the God of the universe and human flesh has shown up on the earth and is beginning his ministry, and he has a message too. It's fascinating, his message. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did he miss something? Well, again, you read the other Gospels, and for example, Mark says, repent and believe in the Gospel. That's great. But we can understand and gain and glean from Matthew the understanding of repentance, which is to turn from sin, to recognize its evil, to grieve over it, to have a heart conversion, which longs to do that which is good, and that and what that will produce is belief in Jesus, belief in the Savior King. There's no salvation without repentance. Repentance here bound up and then the understanding of ultimately the acceptance of the one who provides the solution to your evil, to your sin, and that is Christ. So the question I have for you this morning is this. Have you heeded the herald? Do you understand repentance? Do you think it is just, well, okay, I recognize that I'm a sinner. First, unbelievers. Yeah, I mean, you've been sitting here for years, some of you. you know, I get that. I mean, I've heard repentance all my life. I understand. But do you really, do you really recognize who you are before a holy God? That you must reach his perfect standard, that his judgment of you is absolutely just. And if he were to send you to eternal hell, which he will to everyone who does not repent, that that is completely just, righteous, and holy. Does it grieve your heart? Do you long to turn because you want to honor and please the one who died for you, the king of the universe. Is that repentance? And have you done it? Have you heeded the herald the first time? But there are those of you sitting here this morning who need to heed the herald again this morning because believers are still also given the message to repent. We are to confess our sins, and that's a daily process. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You too need to continue this process of repentance. Now for the believer... You have all necessary, as it were. You're not having, you're not undergoing the work of conversion every moment for this to happen. You've been converted. So you ought to be repenting continually. Are you this morning? You recognize your need to not just mentally assent to the fact that you are sinning in some way, but to grieve truly over it and to, and to have a zeal for repentance which pursues righteousness with reckless abandon in any and every area in which you are sinning. Is that you this morning? Where is it? What, what's, what's the Lord working on you? You need a plan. You need to take 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11 and consider the nature of true repentance and say, in my area of sinfulness, here are the ways in which I'm pursuing that zeal to avenge the wrong, to show myself innocent. If you're not doing that, your repentance is half-hearted at best. This is the message of the king. Will we heed it? This is the message of the herald as the king comes. And then I would say this, lastly, are you proclaiming this message to others? Is this the message you proclaim? You must repent. Filling it in with the biblical truth of what repentance is. You can't just say that word. They're going to need to know what it means. And we'll see later on that John explained it. They would ask him, what does it mean to repent? And he told him what it meant. 
You're going to have to explain it, but is that what you proclaim? Or is it so easy for you to say, well, Jesus will fix this, Jesus will patch up that, Jesus will... Saying that first, rather than the hard words of, you need to repent because before a holy God you are justly condemned to eternal hell. Sobering message, and when you present that message, the world will not like it. But it is the message of the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your message this morning. Thank you for the way in which you sent John to present that message to us and through the scripture to that we may read it now and we may respond. And I, I pray for everyone sitting here this morning that at whatever level of repentance you are calling them or that they would respond to you this morning that in the power of your spirit, according to the truth of your word, in the exercise of their will, or that they would repent this morning. There's those here that, who have never put faith and trust in you, who have never recognized the nature of their sin, I pray that for the first time this morning they would fall on their knees and repent, proclaiming, agreeing with you the evilness of the sin that they have committed and taking hold of your solution. And Lord, I pray for each one of us in the sin areas that we wrestle with today, this moment, that we would heed this message as well, understanding your standard, understanding your character, that you are the holy God, and that you made provision for us to pursue with, with passion and with joy. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.